Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Landy Lodge, episode 56, Joseph Santangelo makes his return. But before we roll into that, this podcast owes a great thanks to the Sages of the Lodge, those of you who donate monthly to keep the Lodge fueling and keeping the Lodge going. Thank you very much. Let's read them off. Thank you, Alex Pamal of All Nerds Welcome, David Fries and Andrew Clay of Brown Sugar and the Blind Albinos, Chris Perkowski of Charging the Mound, Scott Castellano of The End of the Bench, Maria Palmieri, My Mother and Father, Charlotte Astray, otherwise known as Charlotte, Dan Muller, Shane Thomas Driscoll, and Roger Kemp. Thank you to each and every one of you for everything you do. But without further ado, let us roll on with the episode. It's none of that. Or something you forgot. See, everybody's forgotten something. You left it out. Just missed it. See? See? And so I can bring this out, what you've forgotten, if I ask you, who are you? Well, you say I'm Paul Jones, or whatever your name happens to be. I say, oh, no, no, no don't give me that stuff. Who are you really? Who are you? I made it. Episode one has returned. This is my third time, actually. This is it is, but this is your second time coming on as yourself. You're right. You were more an agent for one side of culture on your last podcast. It was a Game of Thrones debate between you and David Freeze. Indeed, you looked at it favorably. He looked at it unfavorably. unfavorably. If you want to look that up, uh, I believe it's episode thirty-three. Um, if you're a Game of Thrones fan, you'll like it. But we're not here to talk about. We're Game not of here Thrones. to talk about Game of Thrones. We're not here to talk about Game of Thrones. What we actually were just talking about before we started rolling was the uh, Popeye's chicken sandwich. Now we got to this because we were bringing up uh, my boy Trill Guapo, his wife Magumi Mays, who was also on the podcast. Good episode, worth checking out. Um, I was on my way with Charlotte to go hang out with them. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was hangry. I had an empty stomach. And it put me in a bit of a grumpy mood. And I was pretty open about it. But then I pull up to this house. And I'm welcomed by Meg as she says, Have you ever had the Popeye's chicken sandwich? And I said, No, I have no idea what it's about. And she's like, Well, I made my own. And my jaw dropped. And this was the most delicious fucking sandwich I've ever eaten. At least top five. So I kind of understand what all this chicken sandwich craze is about. So, But then you enlightened me. No, I just... The craze for the chicken sandwich got way too real. Because someone died over the chicken sandwich. There was someone who was in line for this Popeye's chicken sandwich. And they cut the line. And because they cut the line, someone else started arguing with them. And it, within 15 seconds, they got stabbed. And... To that I say, I will never understand the craze for the chicken sandwich because I can't understand wanting something so badly. I guess I can't understand wanting something that seems so readily available so badly that you would harm another person for it. Like, 
fast food is made to be duplicated in mass, and I know that they sold out of it, but you can still they will always come back. It's like the McRib; it always comes back. You see, but you see, Joe. Here's a conversation that people are beginning to have. It's that the brain reacts to fast food the way a lot of people's brains react to drugs. So what's going on is this man is being afraid of being denied his supply. And when you cut him in the line, you're cutting him from his supply. This does not justify it in any way. I'm just saying this is what's going on in this psycho's brain. That chicken sandwich isn't just food to him. I wonder if in his brain... It was just flashing back that this guy who cut him would get the last chicken sandwich of the day. And he would get right to the front of the line. He's like, sir, you're sold out. No! And you know what? He would have gotten a few more points had he waited to hear they were sold out before he killed this guy. Yeah. But it was just the risk of being sold out that was enough to infuriate him. I think we need to investigate Popeyes. I don't know what they put in this sandwich. Yeah, you know, how come no one's ta- asking that question? <laughs> how come no one's asking, you know, what are they doing in this sandwich that's making people react yeah. this way? Because we've had, like you brought up the McRib, we've had plenty of novelty fast food items that are deliciously dangerous in their own way. And, like, I'm not trying to shit on the Popeyes chicken sandwich, but I'm sure there are other fast food items that are comparable in, you know, perce- I- in, like... Customer perception? If you want to get into it, I think the fast food industry as a whole is curious at best. I think it's just that, like, it's quick, cheap food, but the quality of the food is never good. I wouldn't even say great. Like, the quality of the meat, usually in fast food, is usually bad <laughs> so i just think well you alluded to you came on to something when you and i used to live together that i swear is fucking true if you avoid fast food meat you don't feel that awful after eating it. like you don't feel great you're not ready to go lift or run a marathon but if you avoid the meat you feel significantly less shitty. Nick Landy, you know me, and you know that back in our college days, I used to partake in a fair amount of Taco Bell. I mean, I feel like that's part of the college indoctrination. If you don't have Taco Bell in college, did you really go to college? Probably not. I digress. They even have vegan options, so like no one has an excuse anymore. I Cheesy roll-ups of the tits. A lot of people... like I. But it's not vegan. I'm an idiot. Go on. No, it's not. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> move it, move, moving on. So I just... I used to have a lot of Taco Bell, and then we used to live near a Taco Bell, and I, I started just feeling bad because obviously I would eat Taco Bell. And then the second I just switched to only getting a, a spicy potato soft taco, I was fine. I never felt bad again because it's just potatoes, cheese, and that and spicy lettuce. chipotle, bro. And the spicy I chipotle. I have to say, I think it's my favorite item on the menu. Well, yeah, because it's so simple. And it's, it's simple. Cheap. It's small. It... And just feel, hey, I need quick calories. These are the calories. So, yeah. Taco Bell meat and fast food meat is curious at best. And the fact that the chicken sandwich drove someone to madness to the point that they were willing to commit homicide. It's quite alarming. I've had good chicken. I've had great chicken. I've never wanted to kill someone for it. Not once. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, shit. All right. So let's get into the thick of it here. You have a whole new project from the last time you were on. Yeah, so the last time I was on... When did you start the podcast? I started the podcast in October of 2018. Wild. 
Okay, in October of 2018, I was at the tail end of my freelance videographer career, or my full-time freelance videographer career. I freelanced for about a year, and then living got expensive, so I didn't freelance full-time, and I got a job. But when I was on the podcast was the tail end of it. And I think it's funny because if I go back and listen to that episode, I feel like I knew it at the time. And I was kind of just reflecting back on the entire experience. But since then, I've been working. I work in post-production in the city. Um, I have started, I started an Instagram about pro wrestling about a year ago. And now I'm looking to expand that project. It's called Wrestling Business Daily. And yeah, we got a website launching soon. We got a YouTube channel and we're up to 1,011 followers. So it's been a good year. I'm willing to talk. Let's talk about it. Yeah. Hell yeah. So I've been, so the the thick of your content so far has been on Instagram. That's where those 1,011 followers are. Yeah. At Wrestling Business Daily. No dots. Yeah. At Res- Wrestling Business Daily on Instagram. So I started as Wrestling.Business a year ago and since then had a rebrand in the middle of it because... Just thought it was more fit, better, better fit. I, like I think so too. Yeah. No, I, I, I do think it's a better fit. So, yeah, I mean, the real story behind me starting the page. So, I don't know if you remember, I flew to Chicago when we were living together, and I went on a trip with one of my friends. So, why I went was there was a show called All In in Chicago. So, the significance of that show is that. It was the largest independent pro wrestling event in the United States. Ever? Um, I want to say in like decades. I want to say like 30 years. I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give a fair estimate of 30 it. years. I'll of look like into it. Keep going. That big of a crowd. But the significance is... So basically, WWE has been a monopoly over pro wrestling. Or a f- pretty much monopoly since 2001. And no other wrestling organizations were able to break through to me all in represents the start of i guess the casual fan or the fan who doesn't just want to watch wwe that wouldn't be the casual fan but the the fan who just doesn't want to watch wwe noticing that there are other groups out there so that event is one that i went to that inspired me to start writing about wrestling just spare time hobby so basically in December, so that event was in September of 2018. In December of that year, the same group that uh, started all in uh, the elite for people who don't know wrestling, um, they were leaving the promotion I went to see a show at and I put up a video of their farewell speech from that promotion And that video got 74,000 views. And it got 74,000 views because I know wrestling to the point where, hey, I knew this was an important thing. I knew who to send it to to put it up to know where the attention would get to that video. And I kind of kicked myself after that because I was like, well, this could have been a real preparation meets opportunity moment had I prepared for it. I really had nothing, no prior writing or production about that genre ever. And I've watched it for years. Well, just just as a quick input, if your YouTube channel was available for monetization at that point, you could have easily made at least 50 bucks on that video, if not more. Just on that video. Just on that video, yeah, yeah. And just... And I just want to jump one more thing in, and I looked it up, and it was the largest uh, indie wrestling show to sell uh, since 1993. 
to sell more than 10,000 tickets. That, okay, that's so that's 25 years. Yeah, so the largest in 25 years. Yeah, exactly. So it was pretty significant for the wrestling industry. But anyway, so I put this video up with the same group that did all in leaving uh, leaving their current independent promotion they were wrestling for and starting what is now All Elite Wrestling. But that was the significance of the video and why people watched it. What that made me think was that I need to, if the next time, if this opportunity were to ever come, I need to be prepared for it. Mm-hmm. So my way of doing that was, hey, what can I do in one day to just start putting my input about this thing I enjoy out there? And it was, hey, I'm a fan of Instagram infographics. Let me start making my own. Who who was your um like infographic inspiration? Was there any like particular Ooh, accounts yeah. that like, showed you like what a good medium this is for getting information across? Yeah, a close friend showed me an account called at Get Joe Money Right, and that's Joe as my name, but it's someone who started an account called Get Joe Money Right. It's really just Joe from the Shadow Realm. <laughs> he's, he's advertising for himself. Shadow Joe. No, but this person's <laughs> account is very good and I made. I would say my account's almost an homage to what he did, but I'm just very niche for wrestling. Like he's about how to make money, how to invest money, and mine is about the business behind professional. Well, wrestling. you're tracking the numbers. You're tracking the numbers of professional wrestling. I have to say, I think one of my favorite things about it is like wrestling's very much on the periphery for me. Uh-huh. But one of the cool things about following your page is I'm able to. It's like I'm almost able to see a drive-by of like what fans react positively to and what fans react negatively to based on the ratings that you're reporting. Because mm-hmm. like when, say, AEW does a show, you report like, hey, this got better ratings than last month. And what's great is like the comment section will almost try and like decode that or reverse engineer that. Be like, huh, maybe it's because of this. Likewise, like when a show does worse, people in the comments are like, well, yeah, maybe if they didn't do this shit. We got better. Like, so, I think it's very cool how it, like, it opens a conversation. That, in a lot of ways, is my goal with the page because I think at the heart of what wrestling is, it's like everyone knows wrestling's fake, right? It's such a common thing to people who don't like wrestling. They're like, oh, it's fake. Why do you watch it? And those people are missing the point that it's uh, – if you look past the fact that no one believes it's actual fighting – it's hey, this is a contri- This is a contrived conflict. This is hey, we're creating something, a conflict, a story to make you interested. And I feel like one thing that gets across to a lot of people who wouldn't otherwise watch wrestling when mm. they say it's fake, it's like yes, but you're watching an actor stuntman hybrid. Yeah, you know? it, it, it's not. It's not like when Chris Hemsworth does an action film and there are stunt doubles and stunt stand-ins who do all the cool shit that makes you go oh. Oh, yes. I mean, the actual art form of doing wrestling is harder on the body. I feel like a lot of people who don't get wrestling don't completely underestimate compared to an actor or a stunt person. Like a stunt mid person doesn't have to act and an act person, actor, wow, the actor doesn't always have to do stunts. And I think think what's impressive is watching such, like, the acrobatic abilities of such large men and women, like, very big, very muscular. But they're acrobatic. Yeah. The best ones anyway, I've always felt. You know? So that's interesting. So the best ones is kind of the art of wrestling. And that... uh, Your boy Chris Jericho is a great example, by the way. Well, Chris Jericho is someone who is athletic and a great storyteller. He's like a savant of wrestling. But a legendary wrestler is Andre the Giant, who might not have... He was athletic for a a 500-pound person. 
But his draw was not his athleticism. His draw was being a larger-than-life person character. So that, to me, is like, when you talk about the business of wrestling, hey, do athletic matches attract a higher rating, or do big-person matches attract a higher rating? Is it about the characters? Is it about the... That's what I try and analyze on my page and hope to in the future. Well, I think that proves that there's always uh, the audience can have variables you know Mm -hmm. you don't have to be there for the acrobatics you could be there for the theatrics Mm -hmm. you know and maybe you're there for both but i uh who do you think are some of the best wrestlers who harnessed both the athletic and the theatric elements of wrestling i think chris jericho today is the best like i wouldn't say he's the best in ring but he's great in ring and he tells the best stories. So he's the best hybrid. I would say. And that's why he's the the AEW champion. That's why they're promoting him as the top guy is because he... And also, I think one thing you have to understand is that in wrestling, name recognition is important. It's like... I can argue The Rock is the greatest wrestler of all time because he brought the most notoriety to pro wrestling that, hey, guys like John Cena and Batista now are accepted in Hollywood because The Rock was a wrestler and now it's okay for wrestlers to be actors and be in the most monetized things of the year, like Marvel movies. So, but The Rock was not the best in ring at all. Not even close. I think the... So Jericho kind of has all three of those, of that he's the biggest name... He's probably one of the biggest well-known names, athletic and promos. Same time, the brand of WWE means more to business than any individual wrestler at all. And that's an aspect of it, whereas wrestling used to be a pure star power business of is Stone Cold wrestling, is Hulk Hogan wrestling. Now... It is the it is the show. It is the package. The brand of the promotion that is almost as over as any act on the show. So let me ask you something. How do you? What do you say to those disgruntled wrestling fans who are feeling like the WWE has gone stale, at the very least in its storytelling? I would think that if you're someone who watched wrestling in the '90s that w- you've realized already that WWE is a kid's product now and is marketed toward children and there are big events that are still the classic WWE you grew up with but not every week you're not going to watch every week and then if you really enjoyed the the art form of it there is your genre of wrestling out there on the internet there is hardcore wrestling there is high flying wrestling there are there's everything out there uh, you just have to, and it's easy to look for now, but I would say that WWE, you have to understand that they're always going to be a kid's product until they're forced to change with the numbers. Well, let me ask you something. What do you, do you, do you think that marketing to children is, can be argued to be the smartest business plan because it creates a legacy consumer? You know what I'm saying? In a lot of ways. And not only that, just think about the uh, different revenue streams, right? Your live events business. The parents have to buy tickets, too. Yeah. You know, if Sally and Billy want to see the show, it's not like mom and dad are just going to let them go. So you're Yeah, mom and dad got to buy the ticket. Yeah, now at the same point, that does make it harder because you're almost marketing to mom and dad as much as you are to Sally and Billy, and you have to serve both masters. And ha- But how do you also serve somebody in between that, say, ticket somebody who's maybe an our age demographic, who wants to go to the show and just, like, fucking yell and get hyped? And, I think you know there's I mean? a way to do it, and I think one way... Okay, it's like movies, right? 
movies will try and throw special effects at you to almost hide the stories from you sometimes. I would say there are some big budget action films that do so much CGI. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah? Oh, what, what comes to mind? Oh, uh, don't. There are we, a we don't lot, have to do it. Keep there's going. a lot keep of going, ones that going. come to mind. I think some people will know what we're talking about, but keep going. Anyway, so <laughs> there are some movies that will throw so many tricks and gimmicks at you that you don't pay attention to the story. I think WWE has pyro and a bigger set and more lights and it's more of an experience so that it's not just the the storyline of do you care if Roman Reigns and King Corbin are feuding on Friday. You're not going for this feud. You're kind of going, hey, I'm going to watch the matches. I'm going to see the things blow up. And yes. If you don't care about wrestling. I think things like All Elite Wrestling, New Japan Wrestling, I think Ring of Honor, like, those are more fans that care about wrestling in itself or they wouldn't have found those promotions. Whereas WWE has done a better job of being mainstream over the past 20 years. 40 years, really. Does going mainstream mean you have to sacrifice some sex of your audience? Like, is it inevitable? <laughs> I think so, because I think that's what mainstream was. And I think mainstream is going away. And here's what I mean by that. So I think... The end of the monoculture. The end of the monoculture is completely what I'm talking about in that. So, I mean, you look at advertising. It's all very vanilla. It's towards, hey, how can I make a car commercial that serves every demographic? How can I make a TV show that serves every demographic? Well, you can't, but you can make what's mainstream. And that's trying. WWE is trying to serve every demographic. They're trying to be as mainstream as mainstream is i think that less people are watching mainstream things because they're inauthentic to what they like i think there are enough niches that are making things authentic to what they like i think that i think that's one part of it i think that last part is going to go into what i'm talking about uh -huh. i think a lot of it too is that we now say with the internet and smartphones we have these abilities to communicate with the things we love's subcultures so easily mm -hmm. you know but let's let's think about a time before there were computers right before there was even internet before there was consumer computers home computers mm -hmm. um and let's take star wars the return of the jedi just came out cool it's what everyone's talking about if you want to be part you of the conversation skywalker no i'm talking about return of the jedi oh, wait, in the okay. 80s okay about the 80s. okay i was confused yeah. gotcha gotcha so let's take let's pretend it's the 80s okay return of the jedi just came out you're walking into high school, and it's just what everybody's talking about. Cool. If you want to be part of the conversation, you got to know, and you got to go see Star Wars. Because you know what? Maybe you like that TV show that's on at 1 a.m. that, you know, mm -hmm. is one of your favorites. But not everybody's watching that. And there's really no one to talk to about it. Yeah. So, what do you do? You go see Star Wars, because you want to be part of the conversation. But right now, I don't have to go see the new Star Wars. Because if I want to talk about The Legend of Zelda, all I got to do is get my phone. Yeah. Go to Reddit. Go to Discord. Mm -hmm. You know, the people who want to talk about the stuff I love are so much more available to me. Yeah. And I think that's part of it. I'm not saying everybody works this way, but I do think sometimes the drive to go see mainstream things is to be in the end. Like, everybody wanted to see Endgame, right? That's something that slapped. That's something everybody wanted to go see. Yeah. And there's people who don't see a lot of Marvel movies who went to go see that. I think those things are the closest things we have to mainstream. So it's like Disney, the Super Bowl, the news. I'm trying to think of mainstream things definitively. Like Disney, the Super Bowl, and the news. Disney owns like two-thirds of those things. 
Yikes. <laughs> um, oh, what do you say at the end of the Super Bowl? I'm going to do it. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, God. Oh, God. Yeah. I think Disney does mainstream. I mean, oh, this is so random. I'm going to bring this up. But Baby Yoda had more impressions in December 2019 than every single Democratic national candidate combined. And I was just like, that is the attention of society right now is we are so immersed in our entertainment or whatever our like, what are we looking for? Why, why do we give baby Yoda the attention? (sighs) Maybe it's like pure, like maybe it's like, it's, it can't be corrupted by these things I don't like about the rest of society. (laughs) Yes. But have you seen the whole show? No, not at all. So you can't. I just know about the impressions thing, and I, to me, even though without seeing the show, I know about Baby Yoda. I know that everyone is like googling and memeing him still to this point. And the show came out in early December, and I just think that speaks to Disney's ability. Like they can make old or baby or whatever IP they want. Like Baby Yoda is just one example. But here's my thing. I'm gonna jump in. I think you can only. And correct me if you think I'm wrong. I think you can only accredit Disney the ability to give that a platform. I think the people who figured this out are Dave Filoni, John Favreau, and George Lucas. Three of the main people who have had a say in that project. Mm-hmm. Because the part of Lucasfilm and Disney that's making the movies isn't having nearly the same success. And I think- Rise of Skywalker hasn't grossed a billion yet. As of January, what is it, 12th? <laughs> you know what that makes me think of? How, What's like, that? if you hear... That venture capital funds, when they invest in startups, that they will invest in like 10 to 20 different startups in a sector and 18 of them can fail. But as long as two Two succeed, then they'll make up for the losses of the other 18. And I feel like Disney has that kind of a opportunity with media that they control. Because they're so big. Because they're so big. Yeah, they could put out 20 different Star Wars shows. And as long as two of them are the most popular thing in the internet, then as long as they get one baby Yoda... But it's I guess Disney. I guess but I guess what I was trying to say before is when you accred- accrediting Disney the ability to know what works in the mainstream, I don't think you could give that to them just based on what you said because they have the ability to take twenty shots shots at the door- dartboard. They're bound to hit it twice. Doesn't mean they're good at darts. You know, they're good That's at getting why, the know, value out of it. You, exactly, <laughs> they're you good know, at monetizing it. You know who's good at darts? John Favreau, Dave Filoni, and George Lucas. They're good at darts. Disney's giving them the ability to play. So. That's kind of Disney's function in all of this, is they enable the right people to provide content. That's the thing. Disney's not even giving them the ability to play. Disney's just giving them a bitter, bigger ramp. You know, Disney's giving That's them the good. budget. These guys know how to make films. These the budget guys- and the distribution, because now Disney's their own distributor. You only get the Mandalorian mm. on Disney Plus. That's the that is the real key. Actually, is the distribution. The distribution has always been a like the key factor because like the point the the end consumer. How are you gonna buy this product? Who is the toll booth to that? So that is a lot of what you're getting when you partner with Disney. Is you're getting a toll booth that's already built into everyone. It's like you already are gonna buy for Cinderella or whatever you buy Disney Plus for the yeah. IP that already resonates with you. So, fuck. Disney ruins everything. It's true. Do you think they eventually get broken up? No. No? Do you <laughs> think Do you think they'll always have a competitor? Or do you think they're yeah. an inevitable Yeah, no, they'll always be a competitor. Because okay. I don't think they would ever buy any... Oh, this is what I'd really need to look into. Because they own so many things that I could not know what I'm talking about here. I need to show, see how much adult content they have. 
And by that, I don't mean like porn. I mean like vulgar. Like wh- how much they own Die Hard. Well, they own Fox now. Fox Studios, 21st Century Fox, to be more specific. Yeah, you're right. You know what I mean? No, Disney they, owns nah. a lot, dude. They own ABC. They own ESPN. Well, you know what I'm saying? then it really depends on how much constraints they put on you, the creator, because it really goes back to you, right? If you were the creator and you, the Landy Lodge got over enough that a Disney property wanted to pay you to buy the rights to the Landy Lodge and put it under their banner, it really depends on, well, hey... If they put constraints on you, you might not take the money no matter how much it is. Or maybe you'll take their money and then like, I don't care. They'll give me such a big bag. You can put whatever constraints you want on it. I think it's really dependent on the creators and what drives them about will there ever be. And I think there'll always be creators that want to stay more independent or maybe work with less restrictions or may not even want the kind of attention Disney might bring. Yeah, unless, I don't know. There's like, that's one side of thinking. And then the other side of me is like, hey, Amazon is going to completely take over every capitalism and Disney's going to be the same thing with media that they're just so successful that nothing can stop them. I, I don't think it's going to happen. And I lean towards telling you that I think that there'll always be competition for everyone. I think so too. I think so too. Because like, we know when everyone thought Walmart was going to be a monopoly in the '90s. Eventually, uh-huh. nobody saw Amazon coming in and, and becoming their number one yourself. competitor. You know, could Walmart have jumped on the internet and beaten Amazon? That's the thing. Like Blockbuster could have done Netflix. Maybe not because Walmart's so busy running Walmart, they didn't have necessarily the resources or time to innovate like Jeff Bezos did when he was just sitting in his little corner office. You, you know are what I'm saying? right that especially he, when you go public, that hurts innovation. Yes, you're really subservient to quarterly metrics and stock prices and things like that. And that's why they don't like. That's why Blockbuster. Well, think about it. <laughs> Disney spent so much money buying cable, they didn't realize they would eventually could just become cable. Like Disney Plus is their own cable network. But that's the you thing know what I'm saying. They take... spent all that money trying to like work around and buy cable. Yeah. When eventually they could have this whole time they could have just focused on that. I mean, but their strategy is to have it all. That's the thing is they did buy all these cable networks. Does that make Disney evil? I want mean, to. I want to no, have that complication complicated conversation. It's not evil. How is that evil? Well, oh, are we going to sit here and ask, like, act like Disney hasn't done some questionable things? Oh, the yeah. The company but... through its history, like most corporations do, right? I'm not trying to hold them accountable. Disney right might here. be evil for other things, but Disney's not evil for that. Disney's not evil for diversifying the media streams that they distribute by. That's just good business. It's smart business. If you are trying to be a media company, a production company, then yes, you want to have outlets that distribute on every way people can receive that. Because that's the way for optimal transactions. And that doesn't make you evil. They've done other things that are very questionable. Curious, as I questionable call it. Questionable and curious. Curious, yes. as I call it, fast, fast food. food. Questionable <laughs> and curious is a good way to put it. I, don't, I wouldn't call them evil for being diverse. Here's my thing. I think they're a very complicated case. Because I do think that company does a lot of good for the world. Are we going to sit here and act like the Make-A-Wish Foundation isn't a good thing? Okay, my older brother went through the Make-A-Wish Foundation when he was sick. And it was such, it was generosity like you couldn't imagine. Mm-hmm. You know, going on that cruise, going to the Bahamas, you yeah. know, wonderful. And then there's some of the more questionable, curious things. It's like, that company is so big, there are really good, genuine people working for it. And there are really bad, selfish people working for it. And they each have their own pockets of influence. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm trying to say? 
Because I feel like a lot of the conversation around Disney lately is people think of it as like some evil corporation. And maybe that's my own inner circle. And that's not a thesis I agree with. I'm saying it's much more complicated than that. There's plenty of good that they do. Because it's like, first of all, any big corporation, it's easy to throw stones at. Because they're big. 100%. They're big. It's easy. It's Goliath. We like throwing stones. Well, here, let me throw one stone. Because we're being vague about the curious things. Let me throw one stone. Throw a stone. Mickey Mouse was supposed to be in the public domain. Okay. There was a law in this country, and I, I, I'm going to paraphrase it. You're going to have to look, look into it yourself, but it was after the creator of an IP is dead, there was a certain amount of time before that IP became public domain. And what that means is there was supposed to be a time where Mickey Mouse became available to you and I, mm. meaning you and I could create original content with that IP and profit off of it, mm. and no government or corporation could tell us otherwise. Mm. Disney lobbied to change that law so that they could keep Mickey Mouse forever. Questionable. Curious and ethically very gray because you know what? Does Disney have a right to Mickey Mouse? I think we Do- can present the argument, and I think it would take a long time to go through it. But I think the argument that presents is Do you own an idea? Can you own an idea? How long can you? And in Disney's case, those are the lawyers they bought to fix it in their favor. Yes. <laughs> like- <laughs> lawyers and lobbyists. Yeah, so it's like. At this point, it's decided. The country has laws that have answered that for us. You can own an idea and lobby to own it in perpetuity if you want. You have to continue to lobby and buy the IP. And there are plenty of cases we can find where companies losing IP for that they had for 30 years and then yep. they forgot to renew it. So it's not like they're immune to losing it. At the same time, it's like, okay, are you entitled to all of the ideas from 75 years ago forever? Because that's what it means to have Mickey Even Mouse. Even though the person who had those ideas is dead? Yeah, but whether... And does them being alive or dead or not, like, does that matter? Onto whether you should be able to use them or not. And here's what makes it questionable, right? Here's <laughs> yeah. what makes it questionable. It's like, when my dad dies, does his house belong to public domain? Well, definitely not. You know, so it's like, can you own an idea <laughs> like you can own a house? Well, yes. And you can, but the answer is, can you into perpetuity? And the answer is with a house, you're right, you do. So why is an idea different you know, if it's property? You know, maybe it should be passed down to a person, right? It's like maybe one of Walt's children should have inherited like Mickey Mouse as their IP. And if they wanted to take it upon themselves to go to Viacom and give them Mickey Mouse. Well, I feel like that is they... kind of how it is, though. It's like the holding company is Disney. So if you think about but it. But I guess what I'm saying is uh, maybe it's not a corporation's right to get that IP. Maybe, like, you know how Walt created the character? Yeah. Maybe one of his children should have, like, the ultimate say on that IP. But here's the thing. While you're alive, you want your holding company to own the IP. for Probably for tax purposes. Yeah, you don't want to personally right. own, like... Now, is that a trap? <sighs> that's the thing. It is and it isn't. And that's yeah. why this is so complicated. It's so, no, this it's is so, IP. It's bloody, We're getting deep bloody in, complicated. We're getting deep in well, intellectual life property. Well, this is why. This is why. Like, I don't... I don't like the overall thesis that, like, Disney is just some evil corporation. No, they're just big. Questionable and curious things, for sure. Yeah. Good things, for sure. I'm sure every but branch... But a lot of it's gray. <laughs> every branch of Disney has done things that the normal person might consider good and bad. Yes. So, I think Disney is just, like... It, here's the thing, it's like... The people who started the company aren't the people running the company, obviously. It's such an old company. So now it's just like, can corporations play the game well enough and long enough 
to block out the rest of the competition, I think is the larger question. And I think the same applies for an Amazon of like, hey, like eventually we're going to play the game of business so long that we're going to buy the way you buy groceries or we're going to buy the the way you do X service. And I think it's never played out long enough to see if anyone can get all the industries. <laughs> like, I think that there will always be competition. I think so too. I think there will always be competition. And I think that's a good thing. I think that monopolies in a sense, like the idea that America would break up in monopolies kind of inadvertently saying like we need competition without competition. Things can get very complicated and sticky. Yeah. You know, here's, here's, here's a conundrum for you. We're talking about evil corporations. Like, so one example, God knows they exist. So I'm, I'm still talking about the, the wrestling business here. And one example that came to my mind when you were talking about Disney was that, so WWE has a deal with the government of Saudi Arabia to produce shows every year. And these shows, they're paid very highly, like very highly to produce these shows. Um, so it's like WWE gets a bunch of money from a government that we might find questionable for a bunch of different reasons. And they pay Kane, who is the mayor of Knox County. Or they don't pay him. They donate 100 k to Knox County <laughs> because Kane main evented a Saudi show. But Knox County really gets this 100K. This is the thing. Is this a terrible thing overall as a corporation? Do we disavow them overall for doing the show, for having an elective? It's really sticky for all of this. Dude, it's all... That's the... I feel like the more you zoom zoom in on anything, the more complicated and sticky things get. Oh, yeah. You know? Oh, the devil's always in the details. And that's the thing. And most of the way we receive the information is through the media. The media is not directly incentivized incentivized to give you those details that mostly make up most stories. I think that's a big problem with communication in general is the way that most people receive their information is through media outlets who are not incentivized to give you the nitty gritty facts of a story. How do we incentivize them? <laughs> Yikes. Uh you can, but with your dollar, if that's the first step. Yeah. With your attention. With your attention. It doesn't it doesn't cost like look, cable's included in my rent, right? It doesn't cost me anything to have this cable box. In a, but I'm not gonna give them my eye. In a I'm way, not gonna it's give them my ear. It's like they it is It is a way. Well that's why again, that's why your eye is on the back of the dollar bill at the top of the pyramid. It it's is the attention. same thing. Your attention and your money are kind of the same thing. It is a ledger of value. And you can give your attention, which will then create money for the media outlets you click well, on. Just for example, to show you how that to explain how that funnel works, if you and I sat here and we watch CNN, right? It doesn't cost us anything to watch it, right? But when the ratings come in and they see there were more eyes on their channel, they get more money for ads. It's crazy because, first of all, it actually does cost us something to watch it because we've got to pay the cable provider. Well, I guess all I'm trying to say <laughs> yeah. is, like, in my unique, in my unique example, yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. pay anything for this cable. Got you. You know, I, but my landlord's nice enough to provide it. Got you, got you. So I got what you're saying, that the gateway to access of it for you is free and they're still getting paid 
based on the rating the, and the which ad. is your attention. Yes. By giving them your attention, they're able to leverage your attention to advertisers to make more money. So like CNN doesn't need you to spend money on them directly. They don't need that. They just want your attention. Yes. And that's why they're trying to convince you the world's fucking ending every day. Yeah, because that's the story that might get you to like, oh, the world's ending. I got to keep watching CNN. Yeah, I got to so. keep an eye on this. <laughs> so make sure the world doesn't end while I'm like going to do my laundry <laughs> or something. Um, Yeah. And that's the thing is like, you can even tell if you want to know whether you want to support. But this thing, television is flooded with what I'd call like legacy advertisers like Budweiser. Geico. Like Geico. And it's like, you can tell who you want to support on TV by who's advertising on them. If you see a company you don't want to support and you turn, like watching that show is helping the company that you don't want to support when you see it. And that's why I try to tell people, like, you're voting every day. Yeah, you cast votes every day. With your decisions. Yes. Yeah. Every day, almost every minute. But if you pay attention to... Al- but this is the other thing. It's just, like, it's such a problem. Because I can give you the solution of, like, hey, you should just support the media outlets that you feel are, like, giving you... are doing the research and presenting you details and the headlines. At the same point, a lot of people... You should just be like, hey, CNN is the news. Or like, you had left news, right news, you had one or two channels. There are so many options here, and people are so busy that it's like, you have to put effort into even finding these things. Otherwise, you're just going to go to what's familiar and what you know. And that's the whole battle, is how do any one of these media companies become the your go-to? Well, I think it's getting harder and harder because it's, it's decentralizing in a way. It's like, I don't know about you. But for me, and I know this is the case for a lot of people I've spoken to, you're not necessarily going to a media outlet anymore. You're going to a journalist you trust, a pundit you trust. Mm-hmm. You know, like if you follow Abby Martin, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to Abby Martin. You don't care where Abby Martin's reporting the news. Yeah. Whether it's RT or fucking NBC or Joe Rogan's exp- like podcast. You don't care where she's talking, You but you want to hear her talk. Well, it's interesting because some of the best ones do both, right? Like Abby Martin's a unique case where she self-distributes and she's distributed. Yes. She was distributed by RT for years mm-hmm. and now she's distributed by other South, South American channels. And it's like, that's, I think, the game. It's how it's becoming more niche, right? Is that the best ones both report themselves and have their little network of reporters maybe who is their frame of view and they become the New York times of that view. And I guess what I'm trying to say is at least with news, I feel like individuals are becoming bigger than the collectives. I think, yeah, well, okay. Joe Rogan is a very great example of how what you're saying is right. I don't even think he's news. I I don't think that's fair. I don't want to categorize him as news. Okay. Rogan's not news. He's not, but people get their news from him. That's what I'm saying. He's not like, I think that's because people say like, you know, people like Abby Martin go on there. Uh-huh. Or, you know, people like, um, what's his name? Kyle, what's his name? Kyle something. He was on there recently. Or okay. even Bernie Sanders yeah, goes he, on there. Fuck it. Even Alex Jones goes on there. You know, these, these, per- these news guests, personalities. Yeah. Sargon of Akkad, too. These media personalities are mm-hmm. going on there and speaking. And in that sense, you could consider them news. Um, but I guess what I'm trying to say is when they're on, it's not about the Joe Rogan experience. It's about that individual. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what makes Joe Rogan popular. Yes. is because he's your gateway to cool people. Yes. And that's the thing is like, he's the news, but he's not always the news of politics. He's sometimes the news of fitness. He's the news of MMA. Like, well, I think Joey Diaz's podcast name is, is the best. The church of what's happening now. Yeah. So, you know, it's kind of like that. I think 
that the individual has the potential to become bigger than the collective because it becomes more authentic to you. Well, I guess what I'm trying to present to you is would you agree with me when I'm saying we're reaching an age where the individual, people are becoming more loyal to the individual than they are the collective? I think it's true in some cases and in some cases it isn't. Well, where do you think it's trending? Which which direction do you think we're being? It's definitely trending to? more toward the individual. Yeah, right? that's all I'm okay. trying to argue. It's a hundred percent trending more toward the individual because the collective is what we had before. Yes, because of the distribution of it. Because it's like what individuals were hot in the eighties, the ones that were made stars by the collectives. Mm-hmm. Like like uh, when did Alex Trebek start Jeopardy? Like the host of Jeopardy oh, is a big name. But yeah. I'm just saying, like the host of Jeopardy is like a very relatable person to you because you see him every night he greets you at six o'clock yes that's a real thing and now i guess the difference is that the individual does have the ability to do it themselves it's like alex trebek doesn't need jeopardy to be alex trebek Mm -hmm. he could have a game show in his garage and stream it on youtube and you're still beholden to the channel like the cable company equivalent now would be youtube and you're still beholden to someone you're not completely Uh, decentralized i guess but you have more of an ability now and that is why it's trending towards the individual and i think individuals are easier to trust than collectives you know you know what i'm trying to say it's like see cnn's always going to have a multitude of motivations playing their hand at what gets shown to you and what doesn't whereas an individual is a little less is less complicated than that it Not is, that an individual yeah. can't be complicated. Individuals it, are certainly complicated. But when you have a collective, like what's less complicated? One individual or six individuals? So I think it's really, like for opinions, I completely agree with you. Because if you've listened to a human being enough to, for enough time, there becomes a consistency in their cadence, the way they talk, their opinions. So in that way, completely more relatable than any kind of a collective. Whereas if you're listening to like, uh, a sports show and they have four different hosts then there's the dichotomy dichotomy between the hosts there's chaos mm-hmm. i do think when it comes to like your purchasing decisions though the game is building the best collective and that's what amazon is is they're a machine of humans that operate in a way that you trust it to get you your package in an hour in some places yeah no there are th- <laughs> there are things like you know wholesale products where you trust a collective more than an individual mm-hmm. But I guess what I'm saying is more for news. And that, that's the case. From um, On a media level, I completely agree with you because there's more of a consistency that yeah. you develop in your own understanding of it. So, yeah. But as far as uh, getting something done, like any kind of a task that a business is supposed to accomplish, then you want a better collective. Definitely. Yeah. It, it, depending, depending on the text. Put it this way. Depending on the price, right? I'd almost rather, like, there are cases I'd want to production team as opposed to one person because i think i'd have there are cases where it's different but generally i'd want more eyeballs on what they're making i believe if they've worked together before there's more of an efficiency to it and that's where i would prefer a collective whereas where a podcast is like hey i know what i'm getting from you there's a little bit of consistency to that yeah no i know exactly what you're saying yeah i agree 100 percent. cool that's cool shit dude so what's what's in the future for wrestling business daily What's, what's in the future? Launch. The website <laughs> launch. Um, what's in the future is me continuing to build a collective of people who care about the wrestling business and want to talk about the business behind the business of it. And 
at the same point, just posting my own content every day of, hey, the general goal is, hey, these are the top three news stories of the day. Here's what it means to the industry as a whole. And having different mediums where you can digest those in a quick way, whether it be pictures on Instagram, audio on podcasts, or a short visual. I want you to be able to have your what's important today in wrestling in the most frictionless way possible. And that will continue to be the goal of the website. So that's what we're going for, man. And Hey, I'm talking about wrestling every day. So it makes me happy. Yeah. I mean, it goes into what I was saying before. It's like, you don't need wrestling to be mainstream anymore in a way. Like as a consumer, you don't need that anymore. If anything, people are now more gravitating to things like AEW or uh, what's the league in Japan. New Japan Pro Wrestling. New Japan, yeah. Like, so that's, to me, the best part is that's the story I'm telling is, all right, WWE got paid a billion dollars by Fox for SmackDown because Fox needs programming that has legacy viewers, that has a consistent 2 million people every week to watch their Budweiser ads or whatever they're trying to sell. At the same point, WWE is more profitable than ever because of things like this, but the other smaller wrestling leagues are really, I feel like, cutting into their bottom line. All of their core metrics are down. Live event attendance, ratings from like merchandise, and since they're public, this is all public information. Um, so you're really telling that story of the decline of the monoculture because you have a legacy company in WWE that's getting paid more money than they've ever made before while all of their key interest metrics are in decline because of the rise of alternatives. And I think a lot of that has to do, obviously, with the explosion and the accessibility of the internet, not just to the everyday person in the U.S., but completely. across the globe. It's completely what happened. And I think some of my favorite things is the way more independent projects are able to rise to the occasion. Like, there's a video game I loved called Stardew Valley. It was a farm and village simulator game that i bought for the nintendo switch it was like 15 bucks whole thing was made by one guy mm-hmm. every character every pixel all the code all the music have all of it that made by like one a lot two. of work a lot of work it's his life's work <laughs> yeah it's his life's work he put a lot of work into it and because of the accessibility of distribution that guy made so much money because say when nintendo makes a game that money's got to get spread out to all the designers, all the developers, all the directors, all the producers, all the people in the boardroom at the top of the day. It's got to go everywhere. This motherfucker just said, nah, I know what I'm doing. Did the whole thing. All went to him. I think that's awesome. It is. I think it's a beautiful fucking thing. I think thing. the simplest way to put it is that the internet connects everyone to everyone else. And as a result of that, anything that you can create that provides value, it's possible to receive value for. So, so we were talking about uh, earlier, just wanted to look this up real quick. <laughs> so B- Disney bought 21st Century Fox, which owns Fox News. So you're telling me Disney's in charge of the WWE now. Not in charge, but they're the distributor for the WWE now. They own Fox. So they own Fox 5 or whatever the main Fox channel is. Yeah. Because I know they didn't buy Fox News. And this News, is what I mean yeah. where like corporations get sticky and shit. Is yeah. like they own ABC News and they own Fox News. But those two are those are two completely different worldviews that, that that are being presented by one corporation. Wait, they don't. I don't think they bought Fox News. No, check it. They bought Twenty First Century Fox. I just looked it up. One of the assets owned by Twenty First Century Fox is Fox News. 
Yeah, but I do think if you look it up, I do believe when this Disney purchase Fox thing went down, I think they bought everything besides Fox News. Really? Yeah, I think you, if you Googled that. Yeah, 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 Let's yeah, peep yeah. it. I'm just going to go to their page. Because I don't think Disney wanted any part of that. And yeah. Plus, since 2019. Oh, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, I don't know, they, man. It's 2020. So who owns Fox Corporation? Looks at because it's 21st Century Fox, a different right than Fox here? Corporate. Yeah. Let's peep this. Exactly. Is it <laughs> oh maybe you're right then yeah all disney right. owns it bro all right so until until there's other research i'm gonna go you get the w the fox news is owned by disney and so is abc <laughs> yeah well abc yeah 100 percent. but it's so crazy dude it's so weird it, like it doesn't yeah. matter it doesn't matter what you think like corporations are apolitical no matter what way you bend it you're just trying to i mean they're all publicly traded they not all pub- of them but like a lot of them well, These the big, big fucks, ones, the are, big ones, yeah, yeah. Everyone a, on television, I feel like, is publicly traded. Like CNN's owned by Time Warner. I mean, now Fox News and ABC. Like, who else matters? Like NBC is publicly traded, yeah. And that's the thing you can see their earnings. You can see, you can see most things about them. I'm sure there's some behind the scenes things that are that are not public information, but you can see who pays for their ads. How much money they're making, what the streams are, and it's decently like you can figure out incentives that way. I think. Yeah, and I think what's awesome about that is if you see something you don't like, you don't got to spend money on what they produce. Yeah, you know, it's. <laughs> I think it's tough in one way because, like, think about this: what's more convenient than Amazon? If you want the most convenient thing, you're gonna go to Amazon. So you can inconvenience yourself and buy something you believe in more. And I, I believe you should in a lot of examples. But if you were going for what's the quickest and cheapest thing possible, some and that's why the companies get as big as they do. It's because a lot of times that's what people gravitate towards. That's what you care about. How can I get my thing in an hour? Like You know, speaking of Amazon, I have a small Long Island conspiracy. You have a Long Island conspiracy. So you remember when we moved in together? Remember there was this whole big deal about cardboard? And then yeah. we had to do certain things with our cardboard because they were building a new cardboard plant mm-hmm. to um, take care of the cardboard. We couldn't do cardboard and recycling the way we had traditionally done it. Yeah, we had to separate them. Yeah, it was, I think that has everything to do with Amazon. How's that? I'm not saying this is good or bad. Well, think about it. The things you buy on Amazon, you used to buy from Walmart, right? Mm. Like we, um, like when I bought this mic stand, I might have gone to Radio Shack to buy that mic mm-hmm. stand. Um, I guess my overall point here is there was less cardboard when you bought it from the store. Now with Amazon, everything you buy is being shipped to you in cardboard. You know, sometimes you could just take things off a shelf, but it's like, it's like double cardboard because you're still getting it in the box you would have gotten it in the store. But then you're also but then getting that's it in, the in box. cardboard. You're getting it in Amazon. That's box. what I'm saying. We've doubled the cardboard output. <laughs> we have doubled the cardboard. And I'm like, <laughs> I think that has everything to do with Long Island. Be like, all right, we gotta build a whole fucking building for this shit. This is my problem, Nick. Because who has the time to think about the cardboard ramifications of Amazon? Nobody. Like, nobody's thinking about the cardboard <laughs> ramifications of Amazon. And well, you know what? There's someone who works for your county whose job it is right now. And that's the guy who was like, hey, we need a cardboard plant. I guess that's the best thing about, again, it's the internet is so, so important. Like, I don't know where humanity would be without an internet. I can't even imagine. We're going it. through the reeds, man. You know, it's like the saying goes, the first guy through the wall is always bloody. 
right? I really think the internet is a good thing. I think it's a miracle. It's our salvation. I think it's a miracle. Oh, I think it's like... But, like, it's causing a lot of fucking problems right now. But I think that's where that saying applies. The first ones through the wall are always bloody. That's the problem, bro. It's not... I don't think it's causing the problems. I think it's revealing the problems that were there that we just didn't talk about. Yo, 100%. 100%. You're People right. People still had these problems. It's just... Uh, yeah, Weinstein was Weinstein before the internet. Yeah, like, it's just now we're like, wait, and who was in on it? Yeah. What? No way. I thought they were good, though. And when you see that every day, it's really tough to well, deal with. You know what's shocking, dude, is you can go to the FBI website right now and read... Uh, like. Um, unclassified documents. They're just available to you on the internet. Mm-hmm. Bro, what the fuck did you have to do before the internet to see that? You gotta like, call them probably. What did you have to do? But now office. it's right there. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> it's like anyone who thinks the internet is not the best thing you matter has going <laughs> for it. I just don't understand you. I think it's really hard to talk beyond that level because I think the internet communication and attention are what make people efficient. We communicate with each other. We can give each other attention for prolonged periods of time. That's how we've constructed everything we have. The internet has just given that the ability to scale. That's it. We do it. I think the tough part is when people manipulate it. But because there, like, there are people who are cheating. Because it's like our no, che- that's what we <laughs> teach in school that cheating is real, <laughs> and there are motherfuckers out there that will cheat and change the rules so that it's not cheating anymore. Well, that's the thing is that the best cheaters are the ones who change the rules to make it. Well, I didn't cheat anymore. Exactly. It was cheating yesterday, but I've changed the rules so that today it's actually not cheating, bro. <laughs> so, and that's what the OG players do. That is what the craziest motherfuckers are doing. And it's like, I mean, other countries don't have those type of values for better or for worse. There are a lot of other countries that I feel like just like the game is not what existing is about. The game, I think, is like almost Americans. It's indoctrinated. Like, this is what our society is. I agree. Yeah. I agree. I just think that for better or for worse, this is what we are. I think there's a lot of better we could all rejoice in. And I think the worst we just work on every day. And you know what? The worst is getting less worse in many ways. There are some ways where things are getting worse. But a lot of the shit that's been wrong and a lot of the shit that's been bad, whether it be about our behavior or our society... It is correcting itself. I really do believe it is. I think because you can't ignore it, it is. I think because it's so out there and the internet is so in your face, I think that's better because awareness will lead to the change in behavior. And if if that's a novel perspective to anyone who's listening, the idea that things are getting better, uh, I could recommend Steven Pinker's work. Just wanted to throw that in there. He He does a great job. He actually does a TED Talk. But he's done a bunch of books on this too. But if you wanted the drive-by version, uh, he has a TED Talk where he just runs the numbers down. He's like, crime on a, on a grand scale mm-hmm. is going down like crazy over the last 20, 30 years. It might be getting worse in certain pockets. But if we look at like the world or even our country overall, mm-hmm. crime is plummeting. It's going down. It's trending downward. Mm-hmm. You know, And he brings up a bunch of statistics and numbers like that. Mm-hmm. And, I don't know, it's it's tough, man. It's tough, because there's always going to be shit that's wrong. There's always going to be shit that needs to get better. Mm. There's always going to be shit that, you know, you and I are before our time on. 
Yeah. There's shit that we're doing wrong right now that we just can't see because we're a product of our time. Yep. Maybe we, as we get older and get wiser, we can grow out of it. That'd be fucking great, right? Happened to our parents, bro. A lot of shit that was just normal. Them sitting back and forth, hanging out, talking about stuff everyone talked about. It's like, oh, that's really offensive now. Yeah. Who who knew? Yeah. Who knew? And, but to be fair, it's just like your awareness of everything grows over time. I feel like I feel like society's awareness of everything has grown over time, and I think that. The awareness of it is why it's getting better, and I think the internet's a big part of that. I think, I think the internet is yeah. at the is like at the core of that. Yeah, so the internet's good, communication's good, and most importantly, I feel like people just gotta curate what they watch and not just watch things because don't ask questions, just consume product. Yeah, then. <laughs> I just if you, I and I to be fair, I think most people are doing that, whether they know it or not, is that they're hey. There's this little podcast about this thing I care about. Like, just finding your own niche is the start of not being hooked on the mainstream. Yeah, dude, gravitate to what you love. Mm-hmm. Gravitate to what gets you hard. Gravitate to what inspires you. Gravitate to those things. And you'll find people just like you. Pretty much. So anyway, dude, we got to wrap it up. We're approaching on an hour. But I wanted to give you the last, uh, you know, obviously last couple minutes. Plug yourself. Oh, let people know what's shit. going on. You got a final message you have for the people. Right. It's whatever you want to say, man. All right. Whatever I want to say, people. All right. I'll get my plugs out of the way. You can follow me. You can follow my little wrestling page at Wrestling Business Daily on Instagram. You can go on WrestlingBusinessDaily.com in a week or two when the website is launched. You can follow me at Joe Ask Questions on Instagram. Uh, YouTube, YouTube. Oh shit! Wrestling Business Daily on YouTube as well. Please give me that follow, subscribe, all of it. Pay attention, y'all. What I have to say: just make something you care about today. Just put something out there. Put your voice out there. Don't care if anyone. Don't care if no one sees it. Maybe a couple people will see it. Maybe we will make one person's day better today because they learned that you like something that they like. And that's all I have to say. Just do you make something you love. Make something you love. All right. We got to wrap this up. You lucked out because we didn't talk any Giants Eagles. We'll save that for the next one. Uh, All right, bitches. Thank you for listening. It's been another great episode. Shout out to the the Sages of the Lodge. We'll see you next time. With all its galaxies. And forever and ever and ever, whatever it is beyond that. What you might call God in the western tradition or brahman in hindu philosophy or tao in chinese every one of us is really that but we are pretending we are and we are pretending with tremendous skill and deception who are you 